0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hi, my name is Frances Sachs, and welcome to the New Books Network. I'm joined by Elizabeth During, author of The Chastity Plot. Welcome to the show, Elizabeth.
0: Thank you, and thanks for inviting me. Sure.
1: Um, so, uh, I wanted to start by asking you a little bit about your background and um, how this book came into being.
0: Ah, no, good question. I think that it's you know asking about the the fate of a book is asking about a very, you know tangled, tangled history. how does how do you find your way to a book or how does a book find its way to you? Um for me, it's probably, you know connected with my own background. Um, I come from background in feminism, feminist theory, um but also in theology. So I've had, you know a an education in theology, philosophy, and uh, religion. Um, but this book is more looking at chastity from a variety of, of you know, cultural uh, associations. Uh, so certainly the, the religious uh, plays, you know, as one might expect, uh, a very, a very important role, but it's not primarily an intervention in the religious meanings of chastity. Yeah,
1: mm.
0: yeah. And mm-hmm. the, uh, I, the, the part that I suppose makes sense to, to most people is is the oddity of trying to find a positive, a reading of chastity, because for many people within feminism, the cultural fuss about female virginity—you know—the whole uh, issue around purity has not seemed a very attractive option. And indeed, many feminists thought, you know, the way forward, the way towards, you know, freedom, recognition, public life was definitely away from this suppression of, of female sexual life, um, and that always. Had this connotation that you know innocence, virginity was sort of condescending toward women. It was certainly keeping uh, women within you know a much more um, within a kind of enclosure. Uh, you know this idea that woman was intended to remain outside of of the the real active world of of male action and and participation, and that sexual restraint uh, was counted as female honor. You know as opposed to you know, male military honor, even male intellectual achievement—that this, uh, yeah, you know, recognition of a female value as connected to control of your sexuality was not exactly complimentary, um, and that provoked me. I was, you know, curious as as to the, you know, the other history of chastity, where chastity was aligned with power, with a with a kind of spiritual power, but also, a, you know, a form of independence, a, a way of opting out of the. More traditional plot uh, for women's lives, which had to do with marriage, domesticity, child rearing. Yeah, so that's um, that's probably the beginning of it. You know, the kind of the motivation.
1: So, as someone who has worked in feminism, was chastity something that you also looked down upon as you as you went through your studies, or or was there a moment where it kind of came to be something more interesting to you?
0: I think it's ambivalent. Uh, i I can certainly see the role it, it played in female subordination um, and the uh, you know this rather curious idea that you know the the woman's body is at its most powerful, its most magical, um it's most you know admirable, um when it's uh, you know untouchable, you know, when when it doesn't act at all, when it's passive. Uh, and that was provocative. You know, that was certainly. Um, the, the the poisonous side of, of chastity. Um, but the other hand there's this tradition you know which I know about from my background in theology, um, where chastity was a kind of uh, almost a, a, um, a form of athletic achievement um you know a way of struggling against the body uh a, a kind of ambition um and certainly the you know initial role of uh chastity of, of sexual renunciation, uh, among the early Christians in the first, you know, um, five or six centuries, um, probably was more a, a a promise for male ascetics, uh, for men who wanted to follow a more difficult and challenging path, who wanted to, to uh, distinguish themselves from from the norm and from the commonplace, and you know, enter this competition for the, for the, for the higher rewards. And women were always part of it. Um, but most of the exhortations to chastity in early Christ- Christianity were intended toward men. So, so that the 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 you know different histories, the different gendered histories of chastity is certainly part of the story I wanted to tell.
1: Mm-hmm. So, kind of true to its name, the plot mm-hmm. or the the organization I found of the book itself follows a pretty neat and satisfying um, chronological path through through the history of chastity. Mm-hmm. So I was hoping we could start kind of at the beginning, maybe not the beginning of chastity period, we, I guess we don't really know in in pre pre-antiquity mm-hmm. practices, but at the beginning of chastity that we know about. can you talk about how it came how it came to be?
0: Yeah, because there, there is something peculiar uh, about the this moment in late antiquity, uh, when Christianity is forming as, as a cult um, and as a new religion and the way it did distinguish itself from, you know, pagan, from Greco-Roman morality and values. Um, and this was certainly noticed, that the Christians were doing something different. It was highly valuable in all societies, Greek, Roman, Babylonian, you know, Hebrew, uh, for people to, you know, have a certain restraint uh, in their sexual lives. So uh, that was, you know, there's always been a, a, a kind of valuation of modesty of, uh, being able to control your, your erotic desires rather than having them control you. But the Christians added this, this other, you know, this, this very strange aspiration to this idea of living as if you could be free, free from sexuality, free from marriage, no longer part of the, you know, the, the game, the game which is to continue society, to keep the human race going, that they brought in this this rather radical idea that maybe just bring it to an end. Uh, maybe history is waiting uh, for its, for its exit its exit clause. Um, and that saying no to, to sex is also saying no to sexual reproduction. So this is the controversial part of early Christianity that kind of later praise of chastity, has been rather nervous about that. You know, if you take it seriously, if you follow it um, to its conclusion, um, a an embrace of sexual renunciation uh, really does mean a kind of death to the species. And how can that be positively valued? Um, so that that provoked me. That was certainly you know a very strange idea. Um, so the, this transition from you know late ancient um, ideals of moderation, right, restraint temperance, prudence, um, you know, being rational in in your in your life, um, gets um, you know, rather strongly um, you know, transgressed and indeed violated uh, by this by this new message, uh this message of of total renunciation and what that could mean for for, for the human self. So where, that's the first moment. Yeah.
1: Where did that transition come from? Why did that why was that an appealing ideal? to early
0: christians i mean, the the kind of bias against sex wasn't exactly unique to the christians um it existed in other you know ascetic communities and um among um you know say the the ancient late ancient sage uh was somebody who could um determine for themselves how they how they would live um and often you know lead you know a celibate life or a life of of restraint in, in eating and in drinking, even in, in engaging in, you know, the kind of normal social activities and concentrate on, on spiritual improvement. So this idea of, of um, a withdrawal into the contemplative life, that was certainly pre-Christian um, and the Christians, you know, took that on board. They were able to absorb, um, you know this you know, this kind of rather beautiful idea of the purely contemplative self. And then add this twist, uh, which I think did change uh, the whole history of, of the chastity plot. You know? mm. Um. So the it, it's it's not per se um, part of the original teaching of Jesus. I mean, Jesus was a bachelor, and that was certainly you know special to his his calling and to those who who joined him that they left their homes, they you know um, um, escaped from their families to follow this this strange otherworldly. Um, you know, ideal um, and then it's as if they they could just suspend their attachment uh, to the family, to physicality, uh, to, to life continuing as it was. So perhaps it was a very you know apocalyptic message um, that the world as it as it existed um, was kind of doomed to end, that there would be this breaking in of you know of eternity into time, uh, and that the you know time would not necessarily last. Um, so I think the the turn against uh, sexuality was, you know, can't be looked at apart from the turn against marriage and the family, um, and I think early Christians, you know, stood out as strange and as radical um, because they, you know, they they seem to want to emancipate themselves from social continuation, you know, to to live in the light of of a, of a new world, a new dispensation, a new future. So
1: with sexuality central to Christian dogma at its inception? Or was that something that early Christians kind of adopted in order to differentiate themselves from the the Romans that were living so
0: close? That they were living so close? Yeah, living amongst. Uh, I don't think it was, you know, a, a dogma at all. I think it was um, part of these unusual practices of living in in brotherhoods and then sometimes... Uh, living in sisterhood brotherhoods, as if uh, sexual difference didn't obtain, um, as if you could go go beyond gender, and that was a pretty um, radical expectation. Um, so a few, you know, model um, careers of of the monk, of the inhabitant of the desert, of those who went off to live either in tiny communities or to live in caves or just to um, to, to to wander, to lead a rather nomadic life. Uh, without settling down back into social communities, and that couldn't last. I mean, that was you know an extreme, um, but rather temporary uh, moment in at least the the life of the majority of Christians. It remained as as a choice for the clergy, for those who were the elite, you know, the the exclusive, unusual people. But ordinary Christians, you know, were going to go on marrying. You know, they were going to be like ordinary Greeks and Romans. And so for them, the this you know. <laughs> This new teaching uh, about the dispensability of sexuality had to be tempered. It, it, you know, it had to be changed. So a lot of Christian doctrine, you know, over the the you know long period in which uh, virginity was certainly considered, you know, the highest vocation, you know, had to mediate uh, between these these two poles. You know, towards the family, towards reproduction, um, towards perhaps giving a place to marriage, even ultimately making marriage a sacrament, um, and this other. You know, otherworldly, uncanny ideal um, that you could, you know, jump out of out of your skin, out of your reality into some other place, and that was the place of of the you know the 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 chaste the the kind of making a martyr of your own body and what I call the eunuch, um, you know, including all the negative implications of the eunuch, and the uh, Greeks and Romans and the Jews at the time would have been horrified by this
1: idea
0: to mm-hmm. to be a eunuch. Was definitely to be very low on the on the you know in in the in the social ladder. Uh, so to make that valuable um, was provocative. Yeah.
1: You said that the early Christian early Christian chastity was maybe even more associated with with masculinity than it was with femininity. Mm-hmm. Were there any is the eunuch is the term of the idea of eunuch is that a gendered term? Mm.
0: It certainly sounds it, doesn't it? Uh, so that you know, in, in making that kind of my term for the the more ambitious, extreme uh, form of chastity, you know, I'm, I'm consciously you know playing against um, our expectations of, of gender difference. You know, what kind of body does the eunuch have? It doesn't seem to be you know an attractive option uh, for women. Um, some some of the you know more extreme dissident groups. Uh, around late Judaism, um, around early Christianity, um, uh, we're, were suspected of of practicing castration um, and of doing something, you know, quite horrible to conventional ideas of 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 gender identity. Um, so the the role for women in that uh, would be, I suppose, to to um, you know forego maternity. Uh, to to also embrace the idea that they were that their you know significance was not as objects of, you know uh, sexual attention, um not as intending to be um you know perfect wives and mothers, uh, but as understood and respected for the for their own sake. Uh, so then to become a eunuch was almost like a third sex, you know, someplace uh, in between and outside of of conventions of of gender identity. And that was embraced by women. Uh, women. Um, who were attracted to Christianity and kind of saw the point of this, you know, found it a reason to like, you know, tear up their marriage contracts um, to, to break out of engagements that had been imposed on them by their families um, to live, say with other women, even, you know, most radically to follow around, you know, sort of male spiritual leaders uh, to form their own communities and own separate ways of living. Um, So this was certainly um, taken up by women, um, very quickly um and so the the church had to find a place for this and and it was troubling you know there was the idea that women who who were allowed this exemption from the normal um you know destiny of women uh were were um claiming to be equals and and were um were challenging were challenging even um their their teachers uh and their spiritual um advisors uh in that they could live uh, as if they were men, and as if they were men who had a special exemption from society mm. so the 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 virgin probably is a term that for quite a while didn't have, you know a, a you know a strict gender um connotation. Uh, men were called virgins. you know the 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 forty thousand men, the forty thousand virgins who would, you know, um inaugurate the new and final, you know, age, like, like the age when revelation was really actualized, um, were probably supposed to be men. Um, but then groups of virgins uh were also idealized in, in, in that way. And and uh, families who were disgruntled um that their daughters, you know, or sisters or wives were, you know, uh, breaking out, um, were told that this is something to be proud of, rather than than, you know, going to complain and there are plenty of court cases um where where Christian leaders um, had to you know face uh, judges who said you know you have you have um you know you owe something back to these families you have stolen these women from them. so that was a very interesting uh, time in early Christianity when when the the battle between the Christian life and the family um between this kind of otherworldly and and you know' it's almost end of history expectation was definitely at war with society
1: the idea of virgin as, um, something that was kind of androgynous, more of a singular, even more of a, a intense concept mm-hmm. dated from the popular imagination, and it became something that was more gendered. Mm-hmm. Oh, how did that shift? And I think you talk about that as the shift from the eunuch plot to the maiden plot. Mm-hmm. What was that shift?
0: Yeah, no that that that's a very interesting question and and I can see how it also picks up um you know some of the um kind of more utopian uh, expectations we might have today of the the non-binary position as as a kind of anti-social and more self-determined uh way of life and you know similarly challenging to conventional ideas of gender but there was always compromise. I mean you you don't you don't have innovation you don't have provocation without, you know, Kickback um, without a backlash, and the you know the prevalence of you know other models of of especially female um, sexual virtue were there to to kind of serve as means to this new compromise or means to the you know the compromise that probably did did went went out. Um, the um, one of the things that I suppose didn't figure very much in the Christian struggle over this extreme concept of, you know, androgynous or non, non-binary virginity um, was the, you know, that part of Greek mythology and part, possibly other, other, you know, religious traditions, um, which did allow a place for those who followed, say, in Greece, um, the cult of Diana, the cult of Artemis um, in the original, who's a figure for the wild. I mean, Artemis lives in the woods. You know, she got an exemption, you know, from, from you know, her father Zeus not to marry, to live as a virgin, to, to allow no man access to her and to her followers. Um, and that very strong, very kind of untamed notion of the maiden who remains a maiden, and she was called a maiden, um, you know, then kind of got a, a, a sort of transformation in, in, in Christian practice to being, you know, the, the exemplary um, woman um, who is sort of, you know, not as subject to libidinous desire as men, and therefore can be almost a wedge within her own society, representing a, a different kind of purity. Because I think in, in before Christianity, it was certainly women who were considered, you know, the more violently erotic, you know, the, the, the least in control of, of of their sexual desires, the the, the seducers. Um, you know, men were more rational. So if they thought, well, you know, let's not go overboard. This was possible for them, but it was, you know, quite unusual to imagine that women had an independence of that type and had, you know, a kind of intellectual power and spiritual ambition of that type. So I think it did have to uh, be controlled, and this other ideal of of the maiden as modest, as virtuous, um, as as self controlled, um, you know, came in there to, to to fill the gap and then acquired its own series of romances and idealizations and, you know, beautiful pictures. I mean, you you need a pretty picture if you're going to convince people to, you know, behave morally, whatever you mean by that. It's
1: interesting that that idea of chastity was kind of responsible for shifting an understanding of women's sexuality from being something that was uncontrollable Mm. in in ancient Greek Mm. time period into something that it kind of naturalized the idea that women are more like demure and yeah. um, don't have sexual appetites.
0: Yeah, you no, know, no. You know, how you can people of that? It's 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 an interesting story. Um, it both you know led to this idea, especially in the nineteenth century, a kind of European ideal, and and perhaps in many other places that it was easier for women to exercise restraint, um, and therefore their modesty uh, was valuable, and they would be. They would be the leaders in any campaign of of reform, rehabilitation, uh, protection of the family, protection of children. Um, you know, fight against uh, sexual crimes, against promiscuity, against commercial sex. So women get, you know, almost um, solicited into into representing this and representing uh, a kind of you know social unease uh, with unbridled eros. You know, a, a kind of. Um, as if, as if the libido was weaker in them. Um, and, you know, this is what I think we really have inherited, um, this assumption that, you know, male desire, um, you know, is, is just naturally more intense, um, you know, un, un, untrammeled, um, indiscriminate, uh, but women bring this kind of order and restraint to it. So that was a, you know, a kind of a, a positive, you know, if you like, narrative uh, that women within Christian culture um, were, were given as their model, as a way to become exemplary, as a, as their way to be special, distinct, and beautiful. And then they were given, you know, um, images probably from a different tradition, which I talk about in the book, um, the pastoral tradition, uh, that women are, you know, sweeter, more gentle, uh, more removed from the cut and thrust of, you know, both commercial life and, and um, you know, uh, military life, uh, and they can be this this retreat. They can be this kind of idyllic place uh, where men go to relax um and get away from you know from from the force and competition and you know rivalry of regular life. Um so the so the virgin there becomes something you know both magical for her very sweetness and her childlikeness. Um so this this other idealization of um the virgin as kind of the survival of the child. Um has played a, a a pretty strong part um in this culture of valuing chastity
1: within that pastoral aesthetic is the goal of virginity still spiritual exaltation Ooh. or is it more secular is it more about marriage and and yeah. being being a valuable um like a desirable object for marriage yeah.
0: Yeah, that—that's I suppose—is—is is the the lament of my book, <laughs> in a way. If it—if it has a regret, it's the decline of the sacred, uh, ambitious aspect of, of chastity, uh, in favor of this, you know, more accommodating, um, more passive um, association of chastity uh, with modesty, um, with a kind of unknowing innocence um, that that could be, um, you know, could be ideal femininity. Um, that that the the woman um, never you know never grew up to the same extent, and that um, would never have been part of the original Christian message. Um, that that I think you can, if you're going to blame somebody, you know, you can't blame Saint Augustine and Saint Paul. It, it's a secular ideal, um, and if you like, an an ancient myth. How
1: has that ideal been reinforced throughout literature, in medieval literature yeah. or modern in literature? Then?
0: I mean, You get those these these you know chivalric romances, all these stories about knights uh, whose purpose in life is to go save virgins, and and virgins somehow have gotten lost. You know they're wandering around in the woods, uh, or they're you know uh, you know potential victims of of predators and and you know brutal types, or indeed of monsters and you know non-human aggressors. Um, and knightly virtue is to you know, both respecting the purity of virginity but having this great satisfaction of being able to save uh, these innocent childlike women um, and to protect them from perhaps their own sexuality as well as anything else. So I think the medieval um, literature um, kind of loves this notion of the the, the magical, you know, the virgin who who is the only person who can catch the unicorn. Uh, the virgin is the person who can walk through, you know, this... Um, you know, enchanted uh, diabolical world um, and remain intact, you know, kind of remain just exactly what she is and nothing else. So there's a kind of integrity there, which is the, the positive side of that, and goes along also with the um, the way, um, you know, medieval, you know, romantic mythology um, tried to turn the sublimation of, of erotic love into a, a virtue for men as well, uh, that if you desire... If your beloved is somebody you can never have, sort of in some ways remains this, you know, untouchable virgin, uh, then you can become stronger. You know, you can prove yourself in both, you know, having the adoration, having the worship, having the passion, um, but saying no to it. You know, learning a kind of renunciation through erotic attachment. Um, so the woman remains desirable, you know, beautiful, perfect. You know, we we don't, we, you know, we 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 maintain the objectification of of the female um, body and female sexuality, but it it turns out to be a compliment to the men um, who can look on this and yet say no to themselves, say no to their desire. Um, So that kind of, you know, almost a secular sort of asceticism uh, becomes part of a literary tradition. Do you feel like that further, that
1: serves to even further abstract women's sexuality? Because it's not something that, It becomes something that's not um, even—it doesn't even have a any solidity to it. Like it's not like it's something that women are either denying to their suitors or um, like overwhelming them with. It's something that is never even going to come about. the The male, the chivalrous males, never get to come in contact with the with the with the females. And the more elusive or aloof or unattainable a female is in these stories. The more valuable she is,
0: yeah. No, that I think that that's um, left a, a, a quite uh, disturbing legacy. I mean, if you like the double standard, or you know, the virgin whore uh, correlation that that we've suffered with a lot is is part of it. And you put that very well. I think it's 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 an abstraction. Um, it's an ideal of disembodiment at the same time that this is you know kind of highly endowed with with, with sexual um, you know allure right so that the the allure is that which can't be touched the allure which is that that which is unattainable but that is no action on the part of the woman i mean the woman is just to remain in in her tower or you know surrounded by you know like sleeping beauty you know surrounded by these these um you know thorny bushes um and that the the, the almost the, the ideal moment is when the, the the desiring male is kept away from this possible consummation um, that there's always something disappointing, um, you know, a letdown, you know, a kind of <laughs> return to normalcy about consummation. You know, then where is the ideal woman after that? You know, so you, so you want to put it off as long as possible, and you want you you want to be you know it's like then then the kind of male erotic plot or the kind of traditional erotic plot, you know, is this step by step, you know, refusal. That perhaps at the end there will be, you know, a a um, a condescension, you know, an assent, a consent, um, but that you want to prolong, um, you know, the seductiveness of of that, um, so that women are valued, even if they're not quite believed, if they go on saying no, and that's a problem, <laughs> and that's a problem um, that I'm trying to look at now. I'm, I'm turning from chastity to doing some work on on rape, um, and particularly on unconscious rape, to find out why. Yeah, why the, the uh, woman's power to say no is both idolized and indeed fetishized and yet never, uh, never taken seriously, never totally believed.
1: That's fascinating. Mm. Never thought about it like that. Um, okay, so I see that we are actually running out of time. So I have one more question, which is that, um, and this is something you touched on in the introduction to your book actually which is that there's a modern distaste for making any moral judgments about the sexual practices of women mm-hmm. um you didn't exactly put it like that mm-hmm. and i don't i just i don't know if that's exactly what you mean but that's in my experience that that is true um and we never want to say that there's one way of being sexual that's better than another in modern feminist discourse
0: yes yes
1: that's obviously liberating and allows for more plural, plural plurality of experience which is a which is a really good thing but it also might leave us without any guidance and without any alternative structure and so I could see how sexual practices without any um, imposing structure on them yeah. might fall into the patriarchal structure that is already dominant mm-hmm. that's already dominant should there be more intervention into the erotic lives of citizens yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, so this gets to a whole mess about the, the the private and the public, um, which was something that you know to, to give them credit. I, I think early Christians, you know, managed their own solution to it. I do think there's a problem of, about the lack of of sexual ethics um, today, and so you know maybe you know the book is you know only starts to be an intervention um, in that and in reminding us that there have been other ways of of conceiving. Um, sexual sexual ethics, even though they had I, I suspect um their own kind of you know innate decline and you know innate um, um, destiny to become ambivalent, paradoxical impossible. but we haven't come up with anything better we, we we still have this awkwardness, uncertainty within feminism um can you be just sex positive? Is it all great? does everybody have a right to sex? And then where does that lead to you certainly where does it lead to you in in questions about you know sexual harassment you know assault objectification of women um you know even that kind of you know, vulgarization of, of the conversation about sex because we are you know um we are kind of you know anxious um and kind of queasy about the very idea of, of trying to think morality and sex in in, in the same in the same moment um, and feminism you know first it thought it had an answer yes you know we'd get rid of sexual repression and then we're going to be equal And but there is also another trend in in you know some of the early feminists uh, who saw marriage as the real problem and saw almost as uh, women's life with men as the beginning of corruption and did try to separate themselves out and we have you know have separatist feminism we have you know an idealization of 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 women women love as perhaps the alternative um, to this to this mess Um, but we haven't thought of you know what's a sexual ethic. For for adults, you know, not you know, not about children, you know, not about predators, not about you know the worst vices we can imagine. But for those of us who just stumble along, you know, kind of unclear about what 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 you know could and should be um, a decent way to behave sexually, and it's it's not that easily solved.
1: Totally. Um, well, thank you so much. This is so interesting. Um, is there anything quickly? I see we have a little more time. Anything before we go that we should look out for <laughs>
0: in, in in the present? I don't predict um, a revival of of sexual chastity or any kind of chastity. Um, I, you know, I'd, it would be interesting if in our you know in our discussions about you know a world beyond gender and a world beyond binary gender, uh, if some of these um, you know more ancient. Uh, traditions and images uh, return. I, I think, you know, the, the, the cult of Artemis has a certain appeal. I mean, this, this wild and, um, you know, a kind of very destructive uh, goddess, you know, because virginity can also be very violent. Um, that has a sort of force that might be used, you know, against the you know the condescension um, to sexual virtue as something only for those who are afraid of sex, who are weak, who are inhibited. There, there are there are other ways to uh, imagine, you know, an independence from, you know, from the kind of imperative of sex. Uh, and I think that 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 may return. Um, I don't think we're going to um, we're not going to get away from a different responsibility for feminism, uh, which is to to fight to defend, um, you know, women's control over their own sexuality. I don't think chastity. Um is is going you know is 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 the right uh, weapon yeah, for that war. I don't know that i have a better one, um, but one kind one kind of has to adapt um to each uh, new struggle. but but i do I do look forward to, you know one one other thing is perhaps um, you know, getting rid of um this um sort of blanket condemnation of of the Christian tradition as you know, the villain. Um, in the history of, of, of feminism and the vi- villain in, in the history of sexuality. Uh, I, think, I think Foucault has helped a bit to make us see that differently, especially like in the, the last couple of volumes of his History of Sexuality, um, and also the Greco-Roman uh, notions of, of temperance, of self-ownership, um, of um, a kind of more contemplative attitude towards sexuality, where sexuality is not just considered something um, you know, wild or bestial, um, but something that you know is part of life, but but you know not the be all and end all. Um, so so if I had to you know, give, if I had to look positively um, at the next step um, for you know feminist critics um, and scholars um, and uh, activists, uh, it might also include um, you know rethinking our 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 cultural past in the history of sexuality.
1: Elizabeth, thank you so much.
0: Thank you. Very nice to talk to you.